0: You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover, and Jen Robertson. Welcome to season two, episode 11 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart, and as usual, I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. We haven't seen each other actually for a few weeks, so it's been because it's been the summer holidays. Have you all had a restful break? Uh, No, I
1: haven't. You haven't, Jen?
0: Stop and restful.
2: or you've had a break. Ha- I haven't had a holiday yet.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: But yeah, Neil been, has. Yeah, I've been away on holiday, uh, but I felt like you were all there with me because I was able to listen to Outspoken Bible, which was great. I don't think I've got back to your episodes yet, Jen, where you came back, so it's all been Adrian I've been listening to. Um, and I listened to lots of your tips on swimming, Fiona, which was really good.
0: Yeah, it's quite helpful, isn't it? Actually, I was it. thinking about that after we said it. There were then actually a number of... Um, horrible incidents yeah people there was drowning oh yeah, so, yeah. so it made me really think about the, the necessity of that yeah, but yeah my um, te- my
1: technique needs a lot of work I've been watching lots of YouTube videos of people swimming underwater and they look uh, very different to how I swim well think.
0: I mean the Olympics does that for you as well doesn't it because oh, yeah, I- yeah. I've been trying to do a butterfly kick and really I should just give up <laughs> it's looks very hard
1: isn't it butterfly? Do, you, do you? did you see the, the, ma- the swim marathon that's your event Fiona
0: no I didn't see that is it 26 miles
1: no, I don't think I don't know how long it is, but they they have feeding stations, but but one of the athletes who won was very astute tactically and didn't take on board her food, and that meant Ooh. she won.
0: She was, oh my goodness. Guess, let's not advocate that i don't think I um i did google the other night how to swim the english channel just out of, just out of curiosity anyway enough of that um now jen you'll be delighted to hear that neil and i have we've now received our copies of joseph and the triumph of grace i so <laughs> yeah really fantastic uh, neil what did you think of it any thoughts oh i heard? love it
1: yeah i read through it this morning i love reading the bible in different formats i love the illustrations. I was really interested, a little minor point. How did you decide which sections to bold?
2: Well, in the book, there's the bits that are highlighted in the Genesis text are um the bits that are actually in the illustration, so as speech bubbles or as commentary. So it means you can flip back and forth between the illustrated part of the book and into the biblical text, and find out where that bit comes from. Because when we decided we really wanted, rather than just making up Joseph saying things, mm. we would just take that from the story in Genesis and put it into the illustration. So it gives you that ability, which we wanted, to move between different ways of engaging. So you don't have to just read the cartoon or just read the, the words. You can There's
1: links between the two. It also strikes me, it you can read the whole, you can read the bold and almost get the gist of the story as mm. well.
2: Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It was a lot of work that it took up many and hours as well it? working it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then had we got the grammar right when we put it into the cartoon, there was so many
1: elements to it. It's the Today's NIV version, which I know you have opinions on, Fiona.
2: No, it's not. It's the
1: New International Readers version. There was a phrase that jumped out at me when it said, "I'm just trying to find it now." Where it said that the butler had been put on a pole.
2: Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I, I saw I don't that phrase.
1: Remember
2: that. One of the things I like. I mean, then I. As, as expected by its title, it's, it's in, to help people read it easier. Easierly, is that a word? Um, more easily. More easily. And one of the things that the team who created it did was they they had a consultation group of eight-year-olds um, oh, really? to chat through some of the phrases and words they were using wh- that would help them the best uh, to read the Bible, which I love. That's a great story.
0: That's very good, actually, isn't it? yeah in well and i'm reading from the niv in my bible bible and it's in genesis 41 13 things turned out exactly as he interpreted as i was restored to my position and the other man was impaled so he was yes. stuck on a pole yeah yeah just a yeah. bit more graphic isn't it when you put it yeah. in those terms brutal you know? i mean i i am loving it i was tempted to say i didn't like it just you know
1: yeah, to that create would be controversy. No, yeah. I, I do
0: love it. Um, but one of the things I find because it because it has been my holidays and I've been quite busy with work since I've been back, I, I feel as though I need to give it quite a bit of time to mm. really um, dive into it. So, so there's a lot to this. I think if people are listening and think, oh, it's it's just the Bible text and a few cartoons, it that that is a very scarce explanation of what this is because there there are timelines, there are context illustrations that help you put the story into into the whole story of genesis the whole text of genesis is in the book yes it's you
2: know it's it's a it's a big old read i don't know if i said this before but i think when you first if you have a glimpse of jason's illustrations you just think they're simple cartoons but they are incredibly detailed and what they are really helpful for is having conversations around so if you're sitting reading this with a group of people and particularly young people but it doesn't have to be young people you know, you'll all see different things, and the and the things he's drawn really uh, stimulate conversation and questions about what's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. And so, it's a book. It's not a book that you just read and put it aside. I think you can come back to it again yeah. and again. And uh, and of course, it comes with the journal that we've created, so which it takes five themes out of the story of Joseph, and the journal really helps you either as an individual and as a group to do that kind of work with the book like find yeah. this picture think think about what it's doing or just do, can you find the things that are repeated and how and that's all its all grace and promises and go how god talks to us and we split it at each session split into three parts so it's joseph's story the bible story and our story because the mm-hmm. book as you have said fiona has the timeline before joseph of the bible and then the timeline of the whole bible after just in two pages that was quite a job mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's many there's many elements to the book, and it's a book to for community. It's a community book, I think. Yep.
0: And frankly, if I had a coffee table, I might put it on it because it looks lovely as well. It, it does, it's it lovely. Looks, yeah, I just don't I, have a coffee table. So.
1: Can I echo the comments about the journal? I really like the journal. Yeah. Great questions, yeah. and also the title. The title is one I keep coming back to. I originally bumped on it. I I did, I, I challenged Adrian about this. You said I was a big jacuzz. You called it Fiona. Um, <laughs> But I did a bump. I was on trying it. to make it next time. If segment. I'm being honest, I found it a bit too pious and a bit too Christian. Mm. Um, but I've really come back to it because it, it implies to talk about triumph of grace, you imply that the grace is threatened. In order it has to come through some sort of conflict or battle or some place where it feels it's going to be lost and then found again for it to triumph. Otherwise, it's not a yeah. triumph. It's just yeah. the inexorable ascent of grace. And who wants to read that story? Uh, and and if you think that grace also means gift, then it, you really ponder, well, what is the gift here? Is it the gift uh-huh. of dreams? Is it the gift of a uh, sanctuary? Is it the gift of restore, restoration of status? Is, is it the gift of simply life? All those things are threatened but they come through and they are vindicated at the end. So I've come back to the title again and again.
2: Yeah, the only thing about the title I might have changed was actually, I think, it's Jacob and the Triumph of Grace.
1: Mm. Uh, but that oh, would be a huge
2: change, wouldn't it? Because it, to me, the more I've read it, I, I just think Jacob is the one who goes through a transformation and comes out the other end as, well, he's, well, he's changed, but then he's also the, the line from which Jesus yes, comes.
0: and we will come back to that, Jen later in this discussion because i think we're going to revisit the topic of jacob in the meantime though before we before we plow on we're going to be reading genesis 41 to 45 today so again if you're reading along with us um don't forget you can still get your hands on your own copy of um the book from sbs and can i say as
2: well fiona that it's only four pounds including your postage for a copy of the book and once you get your book you will think goodness you will think (laughs) that's only four (laughs) pounds Because what a a triumph of grace, you'll think. Because it's a quality item. I think
1: you've undervalued it, Jen. I think you should make it £10.
2: But we don't do things for profit. We want people to get the hands on to, to have yeah. the
1: value of it so people appreciate the value. It's like doing free. It's like how I disagree with free youth work. I realise this is outside your hands <laughs> and there's been lots of discussions and you can't no, change I, this now. But
2: then I do know we really want churches to use this together, the whole community thing. And for many ah, churches, right. there's very, very little money. So if we yeah. can keep it as low as we can, that is fantastic. Ah, you're thinking of people yeah. who are
1: buying lots of copies.
2: Groups. For, and and yeah. also, please get in touch with us if you're struggling to buy a number because we will have a conversation with you about that. Super, super.
0: Okay, well, I said I didn't have a coffee table. Maybe I'll buy some and make a coffee table because they're so lovely. Anyway, uh, before we jump into our discussion today, so I think it's time for
1: Glover's Off. So Glover's Off goes back to the 13th of June this year where I was preaching on one of my favourite passages, 2 Corinthians 5, and the bit where it says God was in Christ reconciling the, the world to himself. And I, I just love that verse as a, as a summation of the, of the gospel. And I've always been drawn attention to it when one of my professors, at, when I was studying theology, whose classes I never did, but mentioned as an insight in a class one day that he'd recently published a book of letters between two brothers called Donald and John Bailey. And uh, Donald Bailey was famous for his book, God Was in Christ. And I've forgotten pretty much everything else, but I always thought, oh, that's such an interesting title for a book, God Was in Christ. So I've always loved that verse as well. And I like the fact that someone who's who's great magnum opus of theology, of all the verses in the New Testament, that's the one they went to to, to base their title on. So that was on... Um, June the 13th and I was preaching on 2 Corinthians 5 I think it's verse 12 I don't actually have the verse in front of me Um, God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself I think oh I love it because uh, George Newlands had mentioned the Baileys so that was the Sunday on the Tuesday I was phoning a man to talk about the funeral of a woman called Helen Nicholson I was on the phone to him and his name was David Bailey and he said to me Oh yes, um, my, this is my aunt. Uh, my my father was actually John Bailey. I was like, no, I was just thinking about him on Sunday, and and he said yes. And my uncle was Donald Bailey, who wrote God was in. And I said, did he write God was in Christ? And he said, yes, I've yes, I've got several copies of it in my house. So I just couldn't believe that having thought about these two things two days later, I was talking to the 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 grandson. Uh, of John and the, the great uncle of or the great nephew of Donald and I just I was actually struck by the coincidence of that and it got me thinking about the verse a week and a half later we had the funeral he was he lived down in Kent I don't I have never normally would talk to him he came up it was a Quaker funeral it was absolutely beautiful and I had almost phoned him the night before to say see see how you've got a copy of God was in Christ lying around the house any chance you could bring it up because I don't have one and it costs about £100 on the internet because it's out of print uh, but I thought, no, it's a bit cheeky, um, and I will—I uh, don't want to ruin the relationship I've got with this family. So I conducted the funeral, and uh, he came up to me and the end, David Bailey, and said to me, oh, Neil, thank you so much. You've been a, a great comfort. Thank you for all you've done, and I've brought you a present. And uh, it was all wrapped, and here it is here. It was God was in Christ. Wow. he's uh, inscribed it, and it says, dear Neil, small token uh, of appreciation. Donald was my great uncle, and I've been there uh, for your address as i did not get i was talking about you wish you'd heard my address delving into this book regards david bailey so this is a beautiful book it's written in 1946 mm-hmm. and it is a really really careful affectionate exploration of christ both christ as human uh jesus mm. as human uh, and and christ the one who reconciles the whole world to himself so glover's rant this week is about donald bailey
0: Thank you very much. Uh, now I have to say, to lower the tone slightly, all the way through that, I kept thinking about David Bailey, the photographer, and then I thought you were actually going to talk about Kenneth Bailey, who wrote oh yeah, who wrote the book on Jesus Luke's gospel, next... yeah. So I was captivated by that. Which
1: is the which is the book which you absolutely have to pay attention to one half of it because it's all about peasant background and completely discard the other half which <laughs> is all about these chiastic structures. It's just yeah,
0: so. which is yeah, you just get completely lost in, don't you? Yeah, uh, fantastic. All right, so we're going to move on to, to the next stage. So we left Joseph languishing in prison. He had really very little hope that he was going to get out of there. He'd spoken to the the cupbearer and the the baker, um, but with no prospect really of any change to situation and we've, we've picked the story up in chapter 41 uh, and suddenly there's this recollection uh, on the part of the cupbearer i always get confused about who dies it's the baker who dies isn't it um it's, it's one of
1: the features isn't it of the story we're all getting confused all the time is it the cupbearer is it the butler who's in egypt who's not in egypt who's a slave you know it just th- who's a prisoner who where are we which brother which of the brothers is yes. being held
0: back who's being accused of stashing stuff i know exactly yes yeah, so the wine the wine server the butler however what to describe him it uh, he finds himself in in the palace of pharaoh and Pharaoh, of course, has these dreams and is trying to find an interpretation from the not find them. And of course, it comes back to the, the cupbearer's mind that he had encountered this chap, early chap, the use that phrase, um, in prison previously. So what, what are we making about all of that? What, what's, a, what's our first take on what we read?
1: So the, the first take, I think, is I've, I've got two takes. One's not really a take. Such an internet word, by the way, isn't it? Take.
0: Sorry.
1: Here's my hot take. <laughs> That's your take. That's your takeaway. <laughs> I love it. Um,
0: what are your musings, Neil?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. On the list of banned words. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I like take. Um, where were we? Yeah. So the the big tape. Actually, I was just thinking as you talked about confusing. I think the. I, I have a theory about the Bible. When it's boring, it's deliberately boring. Uh, we talked about that in the second chapter of Jonah once, and mm. uh, it, it's there's something yes. about it which is meant to almost grind you down. And I think that when the Bible's confusing, it's deliberately confusing. Okay, so I, yeah. I wonder if the confusion that we feel when we read this is meant to point us to the confusion that Joseph and Jacob and and Pharaoh and everyone just in the kind of a deep spin, they don't know what's happening, and yet there is a mm-hmm. pattern, there is a thing that's happening so i think one of the things is in the in the the length and it's a very long story i mean it's much yeah. you know, a lot of detail gone on about which brothers were and in, in, in egypt so i think the length points to the length of the story the confusion and so on um i have another takeaway which is kind of completely off to the side but it's the fact that when pharaoh um, has his dream the first version of the dream that he gives is relatively um, sparse it's about the the seven fat cows and then the seven hungry cows and then when he gives the second version of that dream to Joseph he goes into much more detail about his revulsion at the cows and how much he hated them and Mm -hmm. so on and it's a simple pastoral point that when you know that someone is listening properly to your dreams you'll be much more expansive about what they are Mm.
2: Mm. And I
1: think there's, there's something there about even Pharaoh needs someone to listen to his dreams properly. Yes. Um, one of my favorite books on management is called The Dream Manager. It's by a guy called Matthew Kelly. And it's about a guy, I think it's in Chicago, who ran a janitorial agency. So uh, what happened was there were lots of office buildings in Chicago where people needed uh, freelance janitors to come in. So this agency supplied them. But the problem was they had massively high turnover. And in any company, if you have high turnover, it costs you a fortune. They reckon it costs you two times someone's salary to replace them Uh, by the time you've trained up the new person and recovered from the loss of business. So this company had huge losses and loads of people were leaving all the time. And they brought in someone, a new manager who brought in a new post. He said, I'm going to bring in a dream manager and we're going to ask people their dreams and there's a kind of bit of class prejudice going on because they're thinking, these people are only... I'm, I'm, this, I don't think this was what people thought. These people are only janitors. They don't really have dreams. They've given up on their dreams. What's the point of that? <laughs> and But they said, no, we're going to do that. So what they did was they got people to make appointments with the dream managers. And there were two dreams that people had eh, that people kept talking about. One is, a dream of getting home safely at night. And they realised that one of the reasons mm-hmm. that these janitors... Um, were were leaving was because they were having to leave say their shift at two o'clock in the morning and having to walk home uh, through dangerous streets so the first thing they did was they laid on uh, buses and and it got these people home and then loads of people said I dream of having my own home so they worked on that really really quickly and they got the first person to to be able to buy their own home because basically they'd worked out that with the rent that they were paying they could actually probably afford a mortgage And it's a whole um, story carries on about how this company was utterly transformed by taking people's dreams seriously. And instead of people leaving the company all the time, people were recruiting folk and their friends to try and get into this company because it was so good to be a part of. So what I wanted to say there was simply when we listen to people's dreams and take those dreams seriously, we allow people to flourish and grow and become the people they need to be. So that's uh, that's not really the take that's just an aside.
0: No that's yeah that's so much a take but it's that's a lovely lovely I thought can. though. Uh
2: yeah Jen what did you what did you make of things? I think my whole experience of being involved in the production of this book and and now chatting about it on the podcast I've made me realize that I've had a very one dimensional view of Joseph mm. which probably is true of many of characters in the bible. And when I read this bit about the dream you know, I've just thought, now here's Joseph, he's in a difficult situation, God's with him. This is all good stuff, by the way, I'm, I'm not diminishing these these facts. Mm-hmm. Here's Joseph, he's had a hard time, God's with him, things change, God gives him privilege and he has these opportunities and there's reconciliation with the brothers. But in this bit with the dream, and it tied in with last the last bit that we read as well and we chatted about in the previous episode, But I'd never noticed that here's Joseph. So he comes in. He he is he is seen as a person of wisdom because he's able to interpret these dreams. Although of course he does say that it's God that's giving that interpretation. And then it's him that says, "Oh Pharaoh, uh, you you really need a really wise person to organise this and to to, and to make all this happen and to solve this problem that lies ahead." And by doing that, he's mainly saying, you know, this is me. You know, he's he's writing himself a job description, isn't he? And. It tied into the last bit as well that Joseph was always working so hard. He worked hard in the prison. He worked hard in Potiphar's house, and he—I mean, we could say that either way—is—is is, he—is he scheming? Is—is is he manipulative? Um, is he just a hard worker? Does—is he wanting to rise above everything that's been before? Is this his way of sorting out his past uh, to be in a better position? And—and and I suppose it's—it's it's, it's just realizing the truth that all, all biblical characters, including Joseph, are not all good you know the, the the good parts in them that are self-seeking just like us all you know
0: yeah yeah and, and we kind of started that when we talked when we talked with adrian and the, we talked about the technical the dream court and the influence of all of that is i think we approach the story assuming that joseph is the hero yeah so jen i mean you said that at the beginning that you, mm-hmm. you think actually it's the story of jacob isn't it it's the story See, of i was just line. i need to
2: change that i've realized cause i didn't mean jacob i meant judah oh
1: i think Judah's the hero of the story any other nominations? You're going to you're going to go? I think it's actually the story about no, no. Issachar I think this is Issachar's story.
2: No. Dan and the tribe of grace. Uh, no, Judah <laughs> is the guy who who rises above mm-hmm. everything I think laterally and the maybe we're not doing that in this episode but he he's a brother who has transformed yeah, I yeah. think. And I think and his previous behavior I think start. the
1: reason I, I I you were I think Adrian was here when we were talking about this but the the, I think Zood, I don't think it's Judah's story so much because um, I think Jacob is actually the primary character. It all comes back to him in the end. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. There's that moment, isn't it, where Judah is the person who kind of unblocks everything when he has that quiet moment with um with joseph and and so sorry with pharaoh you know with with joseph that's right but he doesn't know he's joseph, joseph at that point and and i think the reason that genesis 38 is in there adrian talked about this and the story of judah and tamar is to remind us that the, that the seed is going to go through judah and there's a famous verse in Psalm 78 where it says actually joseph i have hated but judah i have chosen so that becomes a Mm.
2: So that's what I meant. It wasn't Jacob and the triumph of grace. It's Judah and the triumph of grace.
0: The point stands that when we approach the story, we think Joseph is the hero, and yeah. it's a very simplistic way of reading, isn't it? Therefore, we we put onto Joseph heroic qualities, and and we slightly dismiss the the anti-heroic qualities that that are at work. And, and so, and and like you say, regardless of how we we put it, is it manipulation or is it strategy? Uh, his character is quite clear isn't it his character as somebody who's a who's a planner and a doer and a worker and that sounds like
2: a song there doesn't it um <laughs> it's like a little yeah. Rat. and i don't it, know if you want to go into this just you Fiona but the, the thing that there was a connection with so that he, he gets himself into that position and he has this fantastic opportunity of being generous of being of of uh, leading well, of using his power well, and yes, he gives the food eventually to his family free. Mm-hmm. But then we read it, and it's very well illustrated, I think, as well in the in the Joseph and the Triumph of Grace, that the Egyptians come for their food, and he's like taking their animals, he's taking their money, he's taking their land. They eventually have to become slaves to get food to survive this famine. Nev- I never, I I'd never thought about that before that he he misses an opportunity to be generous and gracious to be like god he that's quite, it's quite shocking
0: really and it's it, it plants the seeds doesn't yeah. it for what what's to come later when we come to the, the moses story and the exodus
1: there, there are a number of unattractive things about joseph or, or a number of things that you bump on the first thing is when his children are born and um, he calls the first one manasseh uh, which means i completely forgotten about my family and you're thinking really i don't think you have Um, so there's some kind of sense of denial going on here and then he puts his brother through this psychological torture of um, imprisoning Simeon and then pretending that they've stolen and then making them think that they're going to lose Benjamin Which at which point also Reuben thinks I'm going to have to sacrifice my two sons by the way Reuben, I I know we said we liked him but the way he goes up to Jacob and says oh by the way if Benjamin doesn't come back you can kill my two sons can you imagine the two sons overhearing that?
0: It's not great that conversation is it? but that tells you something about Jacob I think right? Well, we all oh, we'll right come back to that well,
1: in, in the way that he well, thinks that's as, in, the, as
0: in how the, how those brothers yeah. relate to their father and the and the struggles there are amongst the, that yeah. that siblings
1: and then he puts them through I mean it's utter torture he puts them through I mean we all know that feeling where you know you've got a difficult meeting on Monday and or you've got a hospital appointment and your stomachs in knots uh, turning up and he puts them through months and months of this stuff um, and and you know messes with their head with putting the, the the money back into the sacks and demanding that Benjamin be the one and and uh, poor Simeon's stuck in this prison the whole time and they're not going to go back so it's almost like Judas said oh, I can cope without I can cope with losing Simeon but um, I don't want to lose Benjamin I mean that's going to get back to Simeon what's he going to think I know when he hears all that and then he says to them. Came, went after the big reveal, he says, um, don't be angry with yourselves. Happy thinking, happy raging with you, Joseph. You know, you haven't changed. You're still making me feel small and you're still lording it over me. And I, that's exactly why I wanted rid of you.
0: Yeah, but I, I think that's what I... I'm quite drawn to though within this account that it it people are complex with their motivations. So you know he sits as he's a man who's deeply spiritual, who hears from God, who has an ability to interpret dreams, who has a God-given wisdom to you know to sort out the whole of the food distribution but he's also clearly a flawed man jen as you said in terms of how he's, he's treating the egyptians yeah and missing an opportunity potentially in terms of how he behaves towards the brothers so is is it for sport is it for revenge is it to make himself feel better is it to bring them to the point of of realization of what they've done to him do you know it, it's complex isn't it and so i like that that it's not a straightforward joseph's the hero some of the brothers are good. Some of the brothers, but there's there's complexity in the midst of all of that. And actually, there's quite a a real sense of how how families, well, my family's not quite at this level, but, yeah, but
2: <laughs> you know, people, human beings,
0: are... human beings have mixed motives, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to family relationships.
2: And and he's as you said before, Neil. It's a great one of the great things about the Bible is he's not cancelled, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know, of well, he did this, this, and this, and so we can we can learn anything from him, and we can't recognize that he was somebody who was who is following God. All the mistakes are there. And and the family continues through these mistakes. And that should be an encouragement an encouragement for us, encourages, but
1: also challenges. It does both, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. So I've said for years, oh, God uses flawed individuals. You know, that's the kind of thing that we trot out. And then you find yourself in a family where there, it's not just there's flaws, there's deep, painful patterns of behaviour, which, yeah. you know, really suck the joy of life at times and are really, really stressful. And when you're in them, they're awful. And you, you do imagine that everyone else's family is slightly calmer than yours. And then you read this family with the level of dysfunction, um, where Joseph's messing around with these brothers, where Simeon's in, in prison and Jacob doesn't care where or doesn't care as much, and where Reuben says, oh, you can kill my two sons, and all, and and all of it's based i think you'd pick this up th- th- the fact that uh, Jacob had loved one wife more than the other and that permeates all the way through and then it, it, there's Joseph dealing with the fact that he was almost killed by his brothers and it feels that there is some kind of sadistic cruelty getting worked out in the way that he treats them um and and in amongst all that there's the big lie that the brothers keep glossing over the fact that the other brother has gone, you know, in their conversations with their father, they keep saying, oh, he's gone. None of them actually say, well, we got rid of him. Um, They only admit that to themselves. And so it's obvious that Jacob never knows really what happened to Joseph. I mean, he's going to have to find out Mm -hmm. at some point, but we never hear that. So there's a lie, there's manipulation, there's favorites, there's huge disparities of affection. And yet what we discover in, in Genesis is it isn't just the individual that God rescues, it's the family, this family, this dysfunctional family is the one that God rescues. And the whole point, the whole narrative drive of the story isn't just to rescue Joseph. The whole narrative drive of the story is to rescue the whole family. What a family to rescue.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if we've, if we've covered this really, but can we go back to Jacob and, and thinking about him? Because I, I think within within our group, there's maybe different views of him. Neil, you said earlier before we start recording that um, he's your yeah, favorite. I think character. if I had
1: to name my favourite Old Testament character, I'd probably name Jacob. Uh-huh. And I think there's there's a wholeheartedness. You know, Brenny Brown writes about this a lot, about the quality of wholeheartedness. I think there's a wholeheartedness to to Jacob. I love the wrestling with God story. I don't I don't know, there's something about him I'm still curiously attracted to, and I think he remains an attractive figure for all his flaws. And I think maybe some of the, the figures I've been most drawn to in my life are the ones who, though flawed, rem- live with a kind of wholeheartedness, and I love them for it.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. Whereas I still find him quite deceptive.
1: Yeah. I think
0: I think he's min- I think he's I I think what astonishes me is that having had that wrestling encounter with God, it's it's I mean it's it's unlike anything that happens to anybody else. Are you
1: are you kind of wary he of him? Still
0: is well he's still manipulating these brothers he's still there's a lot of self-pity around I think what we're, what we're reading maybe I'm reading on to that but you know it feels like there's still these are my favorites and and, and this is a terrible thing that's happened to me it's,
2: it still feels quite self-absorbed to me but how much knowledge did Jacob really have of who God was you no know, we read we read this from a perspective of having the whole bible and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of people trying to work out who God is and how, how we worship him and how we follow him. And I mean these these people are very they've got very I mean, a bit unfair to say they've got limited knowledge. But they have these encounters with God, like like Jacob wrestling. But they're living in a culture that is not saying there's there's one God and this is how you do it. And they're just trying really hard to get that right. So are we being are we being quite harsh on them?
0: Yeah, yeah, possibly. And are we? Are we again? We've talked about this before, but are we putting a twenty-first century kind of understanding of of psychology yeah. and family relationships and, and applying that into into historic context? Maybe, maybe. I just think he, I think Jacob must have been a bit of a nightmare to live with, which is maybe why all ten of them trips off to, <laughs> to
1: get away from him for a to wee to bit,
0: get the breath. So they're desperate.
2: They're <laughs> logo, desperate logo. not to
1: bring his his head to the grave and in, in sorrow. They're desperate to look after him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about him.
2: But imagine your father saying, saying that to you, that if if Benjamin dies, you'll go to your grave, a sad old man, but it's very, very evident that the rest of you die is actually fine. I'll cope with that.
0: And I think that's what I mean about the deceitfulness. It's that, yeah. been there in the Jacob story right from
1: the beginning. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think the family relationship thing is there. I mean, I think the great myths, the great stories, and this is the one of the the great stories, are there to tell us about ourselves and... How you know? Long before Freud came along, it tell it's impossible to ignore the fact that parental relationships shape the lives of the children.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's a
0: question: What do you think Benjamin was like?
1: He's a he's a curious. He's a bit like an Isaac figure, isn't he? He's he's beloved, but he doesn't actually mm-hmm. do an awful lot.
2: He gets lots of food at that dinner. Yeah,
1: five That's times. A fascinating
2: wee moment five times more you'd be like maybe they were just used to it or they would go again there's benjamin getting all the best even from this unknown egyptian they must have started thinking that's when they were sitting in their order wasn't it there is those lovely moments Mm. isn't there all through the story like they they get put in the order of their birth and then and then benjamin gets all the food and yeah does he he do much
1: benjamin he's always the wee boy isn't he
2: We never Uh have any perspective, Benjamin's perspective, do we? We don't don't know how he, he's like a pawn, isn't he? Just getting shuffled around.
1: Everybody loves Benjamin.
2: And we do think of him as a wee boy, but he probably
1: wasn't, I'm assuming. You try to read it into the later stories. Later on in uh, Judges, Benjamin becomes the the problem tribe. Um, And then later on, uh, Benjamin is the only tribe that goes with Judah into the southern kingdom of, of Judah. I don't know how much you can read into that his name means son of my right hand.
2: you wonder if um Benjamin was like Joseph and like joseph was was favored mm. and spoiled by his father, and evidently his father has the same attitude to Benjamin, maybe even more so since he thinks Joseph's dead, so Joseph's not around so is ben- is Benjamin got the same attitude is that that uh, the effect on him from his father's behavior being the the same has he become the same kind of person we just don't know
0: mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine he'd also be protected as well. They'd be, you'd, you know, there'd be an yeah, overprotectedness overly, of, yeah. of him.
1: And, and yet yeah. in all this conflict and pain God's holding on to, I can't let go of this whole thing in this story that there's a sense of destiny going on here. There's a sense of God's plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find that so reassuring. Um, I read a quote the other day. It was a, a psychologist who used whose absolute mantra was there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of, and I, I think I think of that for my own life, where I, where I worry about all sorts of little things. Well, they're not they're not little things; they're big things that are going on. But there are even bigger things that God's got a grip of, and and I think often when people look back in their lives, they often say, "I wish I hadn't worried quite so much." Uh, and God's got this in amongst the absolute craziness yeah. of it.
2: And that's the other thing about the book, if you look carefully at it when you get your copy, if you're listening, um, there is a grace line that runs through it, a physical line that runs through the book. And and that's to represent that, that God is there in the midst of all of this, mm-hmm. uh, working out his purpose, if you want to use a, a cliched term, but he's there in, in the midst.
0: Yeah, and I think what what's happened in this conversation, we we, we started off talking about grace, and yeah. you know the appropriateness of otherwise of of, of the title etc and we've what we've done is through through our conversation we've kind of landed back at the importance of grace and you think about you know perfect love drives mm-hmm. out fear and, and and all of that there is something of the presence of god and the and the, the gift despite the flaws and the and the um the violence and the, the sinfulness i guess um that's there yeah well, thank you both very much. Is there anything else you wanted to add today, Neil? You had you had a little bit of chat about the Cairo Air I was
1: Just the side that you know when um, uh, I am not sure about the whole thing. Does Does Joseph deliberately plant the idea of pointing a second in command into Pharaoh's head in order that it'll be him? I I think the very top grade of what he might hope for is to get out of prison. Um, and and I still, I mean, maybe inadvertently, means it. You know, he's he's pretty sharp, but it's only afterwards that he realises it's him.
0: And actually, also, is there anything wrong with that? Sorry, that's an aside. But sometimes I think yeah, if you yeah. are the right person for the job, I think we could be a bit reticent about saying, well, that, do you know, that's what true, I can you, help you here,
1: you, Fiona. You don't have that luxury. <laughs> you've got to do that in your role. No, I've
0: just got to keep doing that. Yeah, I can help you,
1: you. <laughs> you, you, that's how you, that's how you've got to exist, really, isn't it? Sure. It's um, true. It's but yeah, I just imagined. Uh, you know, let's put someone second in charge at the Cairo kind of HR department. I go, you can't do that. You can't. Has the post been advertised? <laughs> we haven't job sized this post. Where's the plan? Where's the, the structure of the organization?
0: She's a dream yes. interpreter. <laughs>
1: Where's that? Where's that on the organizational <laughs> chart? Have we got funding for this? <laughs>
0: See, they probably didn't have all that because they needed Joseph to come in and set <laughs> Put that all up. All the
1: systems in place.
0: I feel he probably was a systems man. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, thank you both very much. What What are your takeaways from what we've talked about today?
2: I suppose I should go and read other familiar characters in the Bible, perhaps where I might still have a one dimensional view of them, and be rem- and just be reminded again that God doesn't work with me or love me because I'm achieving some kind of level of perfection, but he lost because I'm me and he loved these people because he made them and they were his people and he had things for them to do and he wanted the best for them, not because they always got it right. Thank you. Neil?
1: I, I think I'm, I'm coming back to the grace thing. It's just God holds on to the the grace and it's what you said just at the end there that we pushed against this, but actually you you come back to it. And, and maybe in amongst all the confusion... And all the angst and all the, the pain, it's the idea that we come back to grace. We're still held.
0: Good, yeah. I, I mean, Jen, I'd, be, I'd probably be similar to you. I think even as we've spoken this morning, and I had i had done research in advance of today, but even as we've spoken, I'm aware of my own um, assumptions about some of these parts of the Old Testament that that go right back to when I first heard them, read them, heard them preached on. And I think, yeah, there's a challenge, I think, to, to, to maybe actually maybe using my new book to read through the whole story of Genesis. And because and, I, I do actually love this this kind of history stuff within Genesis and I love the way it all connects up and, and watch that. So, yeah, I, I guess the challenge for me before next time is to read through the book of Genesis, maybe even in the new international readers version, much as it sits
2: uncomfortably. Great. Thank you. So, uh, Jen, what's your gem? Well, I've been loving the Olympics. So my gem is slightly connected to that. And I love the diversity and the range of sports that I've been able to watch. And I want to think about a wee bit about Sky Brown, who is 13 years old and won the bronze in the skateboarding. Um, I'm sure maybe there's a skateboarding specific skateboarding thing she won. I'm not that up in it to know what she was. But Sky Brown, bronze medal for Great Britain. And I was just struck by the fact that she is 13. And sure, we all were. And what she did was so skillful. And the ability to move your body in that yeah. way is just amazing, and the effort she's put into. It. And I just want you know to remember that children and young people are not in some way less able than us. I'm obviously in some things they are. They they need adult support and encouragement in lots of different ways. But when we come to Bible engagement with children and young people, can we keep Sky Brown kind of in our minds because young people have so much to give when we engage with the Bible, when we read the Bible together. And I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this as well, I, I, I spend time with a group of children or young people and I'm thinking, I want you to learn this from this bit of the Bible, and I've got it all set out. Rather than coming with the Bible, all of us getting together and and giving them agency, if you want to give some social science, speak to them, but saying, that no, you are as capable as I am of hearing from God, of... Um, working out with us about the Bible means um, and we all bring that equally together to our conversations. Now obviously somebody like Skye Brown's got people around her who are wiser and older and have helped her to do what she's doing and that's the same for children so we have people who are who have been in the journey longer and, and we bring a certain element to the group but to remember that children are able and capable of knowing God and teaching others about God and, and that's a huge challenge I think for the church where do children uh, contribute in ministry in praying for others and saying oh, where, where's the church going what does God want to do so how do we do more of that and then if we, of course if we look at the Bible we've got people like Samuel who was probably very young I mean like five or six perhaps when, when he heard God speaking to him and saying I've got something to say and it wasn't an easy message <laughs> that samuel was given mm-hmm. to tell eli you know who who he would have held in regard, mm-hmm. and josiah who was young when he first started to think about following god and uh, jesus's daughter you know who, who was young and jesus met with and spoke to and healed and yeah so let's remember sky brown when we're engaging with the bible with young people
0: that's great thank you i had two thoughts as you said that one was uh, the phrase that really annoys me is when people talk about children being the future church yes. church of the future there's not the church now i do think that and then i was also thinking i'd read an article about sky brown actually and in it, it it was she and her parents were talking and they were saying that she loves it she loves skateboarding and they have always said if she stops loving it she's going to stop competing because and I, I really like that not putting pressure
2: yeah
0: on somebody but but yeah. allowing them to do the thing they love and succeed yeah. at it and i guess there's an application there isn't there into what you've been talking about to to keep it that we want young people mm. to love the bible and to love jesus thank you very much jen thank you very much neil it's been lovely to nice chat to with you back again, again. <laughs> look forward to speaking to you next time next time we are <laughs> finishing off this story so we're reading through to chapter 50 and uh, we'll be thinking i think a bit more about the, that family stuff but also put the, the future of the people of israel and how that is is set um and of course how that then rolls out uh, to us as believers today i'm assuming we are believers. Um, but it rolls out to people who who believe this message today. So thank you very much for listening, and join us next time for the outspoken panel.